Yo, what's happening, everyone? In this episode, Scott and I got the chat with Ben Kaloy, a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, instructor, coach, professional speaker, and host of the Military Veteran Dad podcast. During our discussion, we discussed the challenges of transitioning veterans, how being a dad relates to leadership, and much, much more. Enjoy. Live. Learning. Leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan. I have with me one of my best friends and the COO of Hopeless to Dopeness Incorporated and Llama <laughs> co-founder, Dub Scott Green. What's happening, bro? How you doing, Scott? I am. Hey, I'm, I'm great. I uh, I got a haircut. Oh, and it, and it, yeah. And it was and it wasn't a bathroom haircut. It was actually at a at a barber shop. So I'm feeling pretty good this weekend. Well, now I feel cruddy for not noticing that. I'm sorry. Your hair looks great. Well, it always looks great. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, but you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's actually manageable now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. For for our listeners, I have no idea what hopeless to dopeness is. That was just <laughs> something that uh, Scott, myself, and a couple of our friends kind of just did as a, as a moniker, you know, just for fun. Um, and then I kind of evolved into the uh, the Llama Lounge as it is, the Llama Leadership Team as it is right now. And I, I was just looking at Scott's Facebook page for some reason. I saw COO of hopeless to dopeness. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, we, we still got that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> hashtag H2D, hashtag deuce Nizzle. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, hey, today we have a very special guest with us, and Ben Kaloy, a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. He's an instructor, a coach, a professional speaker, a fellow podcaster, a father, and all around great human being. What's going on, Ben? I am glad to be here and uh, share some value with you guys today. Oh yeah, I know we are, we're gonna have some a lot of value here, brother. So uh, how, how's things in uh, your neck of the woods? Never been better. Uh, it's kind of crazy. My story recently got accelerated because on January 27th, I went into work one day as a normal day, and by 9:30, I was told my, my position was being eliminated. And so wow. that day, I've kind of coined as my alive day because that was the day in a long time that I started to feel alive again. That I wasn't really honoring how much I was dying on the inside. So mm. ever since. January 27th of 2020, I've just been connecting more and more. And coronavirus has actually helped me step more into myself. I've lost 27 pounds today wow. in the last uh, 57 days. And I've just been going all in on the goals that I've never really put all the effort into and taking this time as to, to get to my best life. That's wow. incredible. It, that yeah. is. That, that's awesome, man. I yeah, the ver- to dig into version of like even more, two yeah. months ago, you wouldn't even recognize this person showing up to you on the, on the, on the camera. Holy smokes. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And you know, I was looking at um, a little bit about your history. Um, I was stalking you on LinkedIn a little bit and, <laughs> and I, I checked it out. And I realized, realized though, that even though uh, you're a Marine, uh, you're a Marine vet, I, you and I have a lot in common because we both worked on generators and electrical systems, uh, me being in the Air Force. So I looked back and I saw that you worked for Generac and a couple other things. So pretty cool stuff. It is. And it's interesting that the, the generator school is one of the only schools that isn't uh, common across the Department of Defense that we have. For some reason, we have our own ego with generators and we say, you know what, no one can train a generator <laughs> mechanic better than we can. So we have our own school in Courthouse Bay, uh, North Carolina. Well, you know, what I, what, what I noticed, uh, Ben, is that you were in Okinawa at the same time. I was there for two months TDY. And I remember when I got there, uh, they said, hey, if you go out 
downtown. If you go out by yourself, uh, you know, don't go by yourself. Take a friend, take a buddy with you. And I was like, man, I didn't know Okinawa was that, was that dangerous. And they said, no, the Marines like to fight people. So make sure you take somebody with you. <laughs> it, it can happen. When you've got a mew on the island, you've got a bunch of uh, masculine testosterone aggression there built up. And they're only there for like six months. So they're trying to get everything out and they can in that short amount of time. Yeah, I spent three months over there. And Kadena was always my favorite place to go. Like the chow hall yeah. was the only Chili's on, on the island at the time. That's right. So like that was our major extrav extravagant place. Like I remember taking, it took, like two taxis to get there because like, i lived on camp hansen i had to take yeah. the green line to camp foster and then take another taxi to camp or kadena and you couldn't take the taxi on kadena you had to get a different taxi once you got on kadena so it took two taxis but chilies man that was like we'd have like 15 strawberry lemonades we were in a kidney candy store back then <laughs> nice yeah and you get the taco rice right outside the gate i guess right i haven't been there yet but i, I want to there's a place i want to go to speaking of taco rice you know what you never have in the united states taco rice and cheese it is the right. most delicious i still cook it probably tw once a week with from a family huh. but nowhere else can you get taco rice and cheese but it's like a staple over there that you can't taco live without it's like huh. why is taco bell never even throwing taco rice and cheese at us i mean like <laughs> you can do it in your sleep it's delicious <laughs> Yeah, me and I have I'd never have gone there. The first time I noticed it was on Bourdain. You know, he was talking about how, like it's a thing over there. And I was like, all right, yeah. I got to try this. Yeah, it it's doesn't delicious. sound great, but it, it was good. Yeah, yeah I got to try it for sure. <laughs> but, I love it better than hey, tacos. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Ben, so we kind of digged a little bit into like a little bit about your story. But do you mind like sharing a little bit about um, how, you know, what you did in uh, like your history in the service? What made you join maybe and a little bit about um, your transition out? So it starts now. when I was in high school. High school wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like spectacular. I didn't have a lot of friends, was really always trying to fit in, never really knew who I was. And I had just had like the inclination that I wanted computers. I was trying to think about college, but it just didn't really fit. And so Air Force is actually what I was looking at first. Air Force is very computerized. I wasn't looking for the military to kind of like be in the military. I was really just looking for a vehicle to get better at computers. So I had the recruiter out. We were all ready to go for the Air Force. And then the day that changed my life, I don't remember the exact day, but it was definitely August of 2002, a Marine recruiter decided it was a good idea to bring a bouncy house to our church picnic. <laughs> and I was afraid to talk to him. I had crossed the Marines off my list because I thought they were just grunts. So they didn't have another job other than being a grunt. But my mom wanted to make sure I was exploring all my options. So I blamed this on her. She goes up to him and starts talking to him first. And then I go up to him because she calls me over. Next thing you know, I'm talking to him Tuesday in the guidance counselor's office. And two weeks later, I'm raising my right hand for the Marine Corps. Nice. And I would have been voted least likely to go in the Marine Corps. I couldn't run. I couldn't do a pull-up. But yet, it was kind of like that dare-to-be-great moment. Like, this was going to be the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was. Like, boot camp was this very tough mental game for me. But it really has kind of cemented and left a lot of seeds of my identity that I have today. But that took a long time. Like, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2007 with the simple idea that, like, it was going to hold me back. But I had no idea why. I didn't know what I was meant to do. I just adopted the TAPS program, get a job, get a suit, get an interview, start your life, have kids, get debt, get a car, get a house. And like that was, I did all that, but I felt lost. I felt stuck. I'm like, this can't be what it's all about. Like there's just gotta be more to life. And for about 10 years, I just was kind of on this civilian program, still having no idea who I was, still having no self-confidence. And it really took me falling out of college. I dropped out and had six months where the grass just dried up. And then I went to a silly seminar on leadership. And this guy was talking about it. And I was like, I kept raising my hand. I was like, I knew all the answers, 
but I had never felt like I knew the answers prior to that. And it really made me realize I had all this in the Marine Corps. I just forgot it. The civilian world doesn't trust you to run the copier when you get out, let alone try to lead <laughs> people. So like that really sparked the growth journey. That really got me hooked on like people like Zig Ziglar and listening to his stuff. And then in 2016, I started a side hustle. No idea what it meant. No idea where it was going to go. Just put it a lot of reps in like writing, talking, getting, doing podcasts. And then it wasn't until 2018 where I kind of stepped into this dad thing. And then that's where I, I launched my podcast right after that. And now it's leading up to here. Wow. Well, I mean, hey, that's, that's, that's an awesome story. And I think, Scott, you could probably relate to some of that when you're kind of transitioning, right? The, the feelings that you kind of talked about? Yeah, I mean, a absolutely. I, uh, so I, I was in the Air Force for 25 years. And then when I retired, I was like, what, what next? What now? You know, like I didn't know what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be. I, I, I knew I wanted to be involved in education and training and development. Um, and so I was taking any teaching job I could get. Um, as a matter of fact, the first job I took wasn't a teaching job. It was an auditing job. And so I was gone all the time. I like literally the three months I was in that position, I was gone for about a month and a half of it. Um, I had a, had a huge territory that I covered. And uh, I, I said to myself, I said, I've been gone half the time I've been out of the military. And I said, I, I got out of the military so I could stop doing this stuff, you know, being away from the wife and kids and things like that. And so um, that's where I said, you know, I need to really get back into this education and training thing. And, and I, I left that job. And it's a great thing because I have, you know, re military retirement pay. So I was able to, you know, and some savings. So I saved up on that and, you know, utilized that for a while. But then uh, eventually just started parlaying this career and training and development. So, yeah, I can understand, Ben, where you're coming from with this whole uh, kind of like, you know, what next, you know, what's, what's my purpose type thing. So uh, yeah. I've been there and done that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm over here taking notes because, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to try to do another 11 years, but we'll see if the body holds up. But, um, <laughs> but I'm over here. You're in the Air Force. The body been... will hold up just fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shots fired, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, appreciate your story, Ben. And hey, so w when you were transitioning out, this is a question because we do have some folks that, um, that listen to this. That I used to work at the Airmen and Family Readiness Center, and they listen to these podcasts and some of the transitioning folks, you know, it's always good for them to hear some of the experiences you had because sometimes they don't get a call back and says, Hey, this is what kind of happened to me when I was transitioning out. Um, what, what were some of the challenges and maybe some tips you can give for somebody who's transitioning out? So when you transition out, like people talk like it's the very first transition in your life, but it's actually the second. Mm -hmm. So the first mm -hmm. part is actually you need to rewind to who you were when you went on, when it went in, because you had goals, you had ambitions, you had objectives that you wanted to get out of whatever branch you joined but we never talk about that. I've never tra time traveled back to who Ben Cloy was before he raised his right hand. And what was I really looking for in life? And then the question like, did I get that? Where's the gap analysis? Did I achieve that? What, where is there a new path that I feel like I'm more aligned to? So I recommend to go back to that first transition, figure out who you were and who you were not, but then also make sure you're cognizant. Did you identify and just adopt the identity of the uniform? Because that's yeah. super dangerous. So many people have no idea who they are on the inside. So they go in, especially Marines. Marines go in to really assume this superhero type identity and you just become that. And when you become that, you slowly lose your, who you are and you're afraid to show who you are. You're, you're, you're afraid to reveal who you are. And that can really mess you up when you do take it off because then you just strip this whole identity of who you were. And then every day you wake up, you feel lost, you feel scared. 
you're literally walking around without your mask on. And when you do that, that's really when veterans get in those corners where they don't feel like they have a way out except to kill themselves. And so you really need to understand who you are when you went in and where you are on the way out and making sure you're cognizant of what identity you're walking out with. And if you don't have an identity, that's perfectly fine. But most people lie to themselves and what that is. And most people aren't being truthful about what that really feels on the inside. And so the other thing that really sucked is we, we know what networking is and we know what a tribe and we know what being part of an elite unit is in the military. We know what being part of your band of brothers and sisters are and having someone have your six. But we never transition that outside. We transition that we have to have this stoic alone mindset that if we can't do it alone, it's not able to be done and we should just give up. But the one thing that I wish I would have told myself back in 2007 or that the military would have put me through is a massive exercise in socializing. Mm. Because what we don't know how to do is how to talk to people. And for me, I I had no good friends before I joined the military. I became good friends with who I was in the Marine Corps, especially in Okinawa, because you're all in the same boat together. So like that kind of glues you a little bit stronger than here in the United States, because you can't just go to Vegas on your weekend, like at Camp Pendleton and pretend you're not a Marine. You're a Marine on Okinawa all the time. And they're always looking at you like a Marine. So you're in it together. But when you get out, you have no real ability to rebuild it. And you don't know what that does for your life. So I always tell people, go out there and find places to learn to talk to people. Find places where you can learn to talk. Because there's one thing that when you learn to talk to people, and on the other side of that hello is your opportunity that you're looking for. But if you never say hello, when you never learn that skill of hello, that opportunity never comes your way. And the other part, when you think of the identity, if we go back, like, who, you, who are you? When you have a conversation, they become the mirror of who you are. They reflect back the best qualities in you. They let you know that they really like who you are as a person. They, you make me feel better when I'm around you type conversation. You get that when you have someone in your life. But if you have nobody you're talking to, the reflection's empty, and that's all you feel inside. Wow. That's, that's Ben, I can completely relate to that, too, because I, I remember uh, – oftentimes thinking to myself, like, how, what am I allowed to say to people? And, you know, like, how, how, how am I allowed to address them? And I think, cause, cause where I moved to, I didn't go back into a, a government system as far as, I know I have a lot of friends that, you know, get out of the military, separate, and they go back to working in their same unit as a civilian or, you know, as, as a GS position or something like that. So that transition is a lot more smooth. And I ended up moving to a location where I didn't know anybody uh, other than my in-laws. And, and, and it's not a large military town, so the, the opportunities to, to get jobs on the base as far as that GS system are kind of few and far between. And so, and, and really, honestly, for me, I wanted to jump back into to the civilian sector as well, but I knew it was a challenge. But I can, I can completely relate to that mindset of like, what can I say to these people? What am I allowed to say? Uh, if I'm doing a job interview, how robotic do I sound? Cause if I, I, you know, Joe, we we're familiar with awards uh, boards and, and, and things like that. And you're sitting up, you got your hands on your knees, your, you know, your feet are at a 45 degree mm-hmm. angle. You're, you're yes, yes, yes. You know, you're very robotic. And then you try to do that in a job interview and people are looking at <laughs> you like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Right. Uh, so and even though judging you, which is something veterans are afraid of as well. Like we don't yeah. want to be judged. And so that judgment just makes the shelter even more. 
Absolutely. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I can say for me, even though I'm in a great place now with, uh, I moved from like three different organizations in five years. And some people look at that like it's a bad thing, uh, but uh, it's been more opportunities that came my way. And that's why I was able to, to move pretty quickly um, and, and very, very effectively, but it's been good moves. And, and, and I get, you know, now I'm with a great team that uh, we have a few folks that are former military. So we all, we get it. You know what I'm saying? We all understand each other. But uh, so you are back, you got out of the Marines and went back to Wisconsin. And like you said, there's not really any military. Um, no, I mean, there's some, there's an air wing up in Madison. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you have to go hang out there in order to even know that it's there or notice the F-16 flying over yeah. you. Like there's not like a big military feeling within Madison or the closest thing is Great Lakes in Chicago. But I, you actually have no idea that the Great Lakes Naval um, Camp is there in Chicago because it's completely isolated and Chicago's so massive with their own issues that you never even noticed that it's just up the road. Yeah, yeah. So how did you, how did you, when you, when you first like got into your first, I guess, post-military job, um, how did, how did you manage that transition? Did you have the same sort of issues like I was talking about, like as far as just relating to people? Was that, was that a challenge for you? So for me, there was one thing that I didn't mention from high school that getting rejected by girls and having them say no really set me up for this mindset that every new person I would talk to is going to reject me. And so every person I was going to talk to was a high school girl. And so I just wouldn't try. Oh, and, wow. But if I felt safe, then I would probably try. But if I didn't, I just avoided it. And not knowing at the time, the one thing that probably saved me is I've always been drunk on curiosity that I've always just had a massive curiosity to ask questions as like, why do we do it that way? Or I think we can do it better. So my mind's always been trying to make things better. And I could run on that programming for a long time, but that doesn't get, that didn't fill me up. That didn't let me my passion come out. That just made me valuable as to a company because they kept solving their problems. So that curiosity really kept me safe because when I first got out, I started in a call center and then I moved to a training department, but all of that was part of my curiosity. I started learning yeah. how to technical write and learning skills that I had no reason to learn. I just <laughs> liked learning about it. I like learning how to write a diagnostic manual. I like learning how to work Adobe Illustrator. I've never worked Adobe Illustrator in my life. So those things were just, I just kept following my curiosity. And the part that people also mislabel is people will tell you, oh, you need to find your passion. You need to find your purpose. Those are light years and they're also behind a mountain that you can't see what that actually looks like. But your curiosity is the magnet that's going to draw you towards it. So as mm -hmm. long as you're following your curiosity, those are the breadcrumbs to where you need to be in life. And you won't be able to know it until you're there. But as long as you're following your curiosity, you are following that innate wisdom, that gut feeling that most people talk about, but don't really know how to use. Just follow your curiosity. And that will be what leads you to where you want to go. Like people that transition out, like, I have no idea what I want to do. Just find something that you're curious about start learning a little bit about it. Maybe start a podcast so that you can learn more about it. I often give yeah. that advice. Like if you have something you really love learning more about, but you don't know anything, interview a bunch of experts, become an expert yourself in it, or just try to learn more about it. Like follow your curiosity because that will lead to whatever purpose and passion that you have. And for me, my curiosity led me to a long road, but that road is what I needed to go on to really dive deep. And there's something else that we don't talk about enough in the transition, and that's pressure. That I wasn't happy when I was in the call center. I was kind of happy when I was teaching, but then I went to a different company where I was back kind of in tech support, and I just kept following my, my curiosity. But that pressure through that kind of misery 
made me dig deeper. And so I had a lot of freedom where I was also, where my position was eliminated. So I got to grow. I got to figure out who my curiosity, I got to do things that I normally wouldn't do based on my position. I just would kind of figure them out and step into them. Each one of those steps was pressure forcing me to dig a little deeper. So I don't regret the eight years that I was working at that company because if it wasn't that pressure and if it wasn't that desire to try to create a different opportunity in my life because I wanted something different, I would never have started my podcast. And the best way to think of this pressure is think of raw carbon, just a regular piece of coal that you have. That's just carbon. Carbon under pressure becomes a diamond. Mm -hmm. And when you go through that process of under pressure, so if you're in it, if you're listening to this right now and you are in an environment where you don't feel enabled, you don't feel fulfilled, mm -hmm. recognize what can I learn from the pressure that I'm under? How can this be happening for me and not to me? Because my entire life up to this point has been happening for me. And if it wasn't for that pressure, I would be 10% of the person I am today. Hmm, yeah. Because that pressure forced me to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And when you keep digging deeper and deeper, that's when you start tapping into that raw power and that raw passion. And you just get to start stepping into the, the version that you've always wanted in your life, but you've always been afraid to kind of lean into it. Well, you just got to keep digging deeper, but that pressure is what forces it. So if, you gotta, if your life is easy and you're not feeling happy, it's probably because you don't have that pressure kind of forcing you to dig inward because... It's so easy to outsource your problems to someone else and blame them on someone else. But at the end of the day, you're the only one that's responsible for changing your life. But it takes pressure to really come to that conclusion. So have you, have you always held that attitude? Is that something that you kind of discovered through trial and error? or Because um, I think the right attitude, regardless of what kind of pressure you have, is going to get you where you need to be. Is, has your attitude evolved or did you ever have those moments where you're like, man, this is just really horrible. It sucks. How do I get out of this? I would say I beat my head against the wall probably for a good 13 years. And wow. maybe the one thing that I had going for me was I was always a people pleaser because so I didn't know who I was and I didn't feel confident or loving who I was. I was always looking for that validation externally. Like as I reflected back and this wasn't something I had for a long time, I was literally waiting waiting for someone to come up to me at work and say, you know what, Ben Cloy, I am just so proud of what you've been up to. And I just want to show my appreciation to you. I was craving that feeling so mm -hmm. long, but my, so my personality was always trying to be helpful. And so when you're always trying to be helpful, you can generally try, you, you'll generally fit in or you'll, you'll do enough, but you'll never actually reach that thing that you're chasing to because you need to be that person that says that not someone else. So I had kind of some of those personality traits growing up on a farm. I was always kind of the, the farm boy from Wisconsin that was super nice, Midwestern nice kind of. <laughs> and I've had people like say, like, Ben, you're the nicest freaking Marine I've ever met because they just <laughs> don't think that a, a Marine usually this nice. And that's just always been my personality. Like I've always been just a nice guy. And so being a nice guy kind of helped maybe make my survival a little bit easier than most because I was always a nice guy to people and always treating people well but that really wasn't serving me. I was still always waiting for those nice moments to manifest and create the life changing moment I was waiting for. And it really took, it really took me losing my job on January 27th, where I was like, this kind of pushed me into the unknown that I was kind of trying to build on someone else's time and going somewhere else. And I had to go forward and it was on me to create the future that I wanted now. And now it's what I've been doing. Kind of, and you know, and this is so. This is pr pretty. I mean, recent for you, right? So January, yeah, not not yeah, too this long is, ago. Like I, yeah. And, and so, as a father, um, I mean, you you 
have to set the example for your kids, right? Like you can't just admit defeat and, and kind of cower to something like this. This is the time to, uh, at least for me, I would, I would say this is a leadership opportunity for your, for your family. I mean, would you say the same thing? Absolutely. And I've gotten breadcrumb pieces of that kind of example. So I've always had a fear of running. So the Marine Corps kind of like broke me when it came to running. I hated running. I was always the guy that fell out. I never could keep up. And I just had this massive fear. So last summer, I decided, you know what, I'm going to conquer this fear of running. So I started running. And my son started wanting to run with me. And I remember we got shoes or new school, new shoes for school. And he just kind of coined them as his super fast running shoes like daddy. <laughs> and you get those little moments where you start a very powerful habit and your kids notice. And then they start doing it. Like I've been doing uh, in, in Corona to, to help uh, expedite all what I've been going through and the weight loss. I've been doing T25 in the morning with Beachbody. And he's been watching in the beginning. He doesn't do it as much anymore. But in the beginning, he was watching. And I went down one stairs a couple of weeks ago, and he was watching TV doing crunches. And you, you don't realize how much they are watching. And yeah. the part that often you can beat yourself up as a dad, that because I didn't win today, that I'm a failure and I've lost every day in the future. But yeah. your kids will always see you as their hero. And they're always looking for you to rise up. Like your ability to continue to get back up is no different than when your kid falls down on a bike and you tell them you got to fall, get back on. And even my kids have told me like, daddy, why did you lose your job? And, or why didn't they want you anymore? I'm like, because I, I, they didn't want me anymore. And now it's up to me to try to get back on my bike. And like, they're always watching. Yeah. And it's difficult and it's not easy because there was a lot of, I remember holding my daughter. She was born in 2012, my oldest. In those early years, I was just like, I am not anybody capable of being a father. I don't have a life that I would want her to copy. And my midlife crisis when I turned 30 was this revelation that was kind of like, and also like helped me get to where I am, that Jay Leno had just left the Tonight Show and it just triggered me. All these people came out to say nice things. And I was like, I don't think a single person is going to do that. I don't oh. think I have a single person in my life that's going to care whether I'm, I'm, I'm here or that my life flipped. And that was a real pit to stand in because I didn't have any friends. I was isolated other than immediate family, my wife, and my daughter. That was it. And that pivot, that pit that I was in really forced me to dig deeper again, talking about that pressure. And it really was a question that someone gave me that if you want a result in your life you never had, then you need to do something you've never done. And then I applied that to friends. And I was like, you know what? I need to talk to people because that's how you create friends. And if I'm not doing it, that's why I don't have this result. And so for me, I started with dads at the park. So dads at the park was, I mean, if you're a dad at the park, you're generally elevated above uh, being a good dad. You're trying at least. <laughs> and it turns out they were wanting to talk to me just as much. They were just waiting for one of us to go first. Yeah. And the third dad I talked to was a veteran. And I was like, wow, that just worked. I just said hello to three <laughs> people. And the third one was someone that I have in common with. And we're still friends today. So I've just kind of, that was, that was a big pivotal moment where I started to love of love who I was. And again, that was five years ago. I'm 35 now. And that's the part that you off as military, you think you can just, it's just an exercise. Like this is just an eight week mission. We're going to conquer that hill and we're going to come back. No, no, conquering your mind, conquering your heart and winning your heart is something that you do your entire life. And yeah. that's something that veterans, we want the instant part. We want that it, to think we can just keep training, but you're always going to keep training and life's always going to keep giving you stuff. And there's a couple uh, things I like to say about friends and tribes and the military part of it as well, for millennia mended life and tribes. We had people ahead of us, we had people behind us. There was always someone to share the load. 
And when you don't have someone to share the load, because life's always going to give you more than you can handle and your shoulders are, are, are going to break. They're going to be crushed under some of the things that life gives you. And that's why you need people around you. You need people to lean into. And we, as veterans, we absolutely suck at that part because that's where we get stuck in the, yeah. our back against the wall. And we come to conclusions that are, we're a burden to our family and we should just remove that from the, our family's experience. Yeah. So Ben, man, that was, that's a lot of great stuff that you just, and there's so much to unpack there. And it, so from that experience where you're transitioning, you're communicating, and then you being a father, is that like, did that all culminate into you deciding that, you know, the podcast you're going to do was military veteran dad? Like what was the genesis of that? Was it just all together? All that stuff that pop one day? No, it didn't pop one day. It was me falling down on myself as a dad. And I was Mm -hmm. big on podcasts and I was listening to John Lee. Dumas is entrepreneur on fire. And I don't know if you know who Larry Hagner is, but he runs the good dad project out of St. Louis. And he also has a podcast mm. called the dad's edge. And he was on JLD's podcast. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? Sounds like the big brother I've never had. And yeah. cause he's saying a lot of things that I'm feeling. So I checked out his podcast and I checked out his Facebook group. And then it was like 2016, he jumped out of the universe and asked me if I wanted to join a mastermind with him. And I was like, I was scared. And I started doing it and that was a 12 week program where I started to kind of peel back and again, have someone else reflect back the value that I couldn't see of myself because I felt like I was just this low life dad that didn't matter. But when you start talking, when you start having someone reflect back, you're like, wow, that was really good that you said what you said, or I feel a little bit better based on what you said, like that little breadcrumb there really let me dive in. So I kept hanging around with Larry and his dad group and it's a very good group of dads being vulnerable and just sharing life together and doing life. And it was really that that helped me realize that there's a whole nother level to operate as a father. And you don't realize that unless you have a network. If you know other great dads to rise up to, you don't even know where the bar is at. Like you try to set your own bar and your bar keeps moving up and down and that's not a good bar to measure. Like you need people above you that have walked through the fire that you're trying to walk on right now because you're gonna get lost and you're probably gonna get stranded on those coals. And so like that really helped get me to where I was And so then I started just kind of being more confident as a father. And it was a military influencer conference is a conference for people, influencers in the military. And I went there in 2018 with this veteran dad life coach idea or veteran dad podcast. It wasn't refined. It was very rough around the edges still. And I was talking to a mill spouse and I was telling her about what I feel about fatherhood and why it's so important for me and all this stuff. And I brought, I made her cry. Because her husband came home from war, but never really fit mentally came home. They just kind of sits on the couch. And, what, and I realized, like, I, I said something and I made her feel something at the same time. I was like, I've got to do this. There's like, my voice did that and I could do that for others. And so that plane ride, September 2018, I wrote my business plan. I came home with the mission to help bring every dad home emotionally. And from there, three months later, I launched a podcast. So it was kind of like that moment where I had that 10 times energy reflected back that like what you said mattered. And I was like, that was the validation I was kind of waiting. And then I just stepped into it fully and just kept going. And many days I felt like a, like a person that wasn't capable of doing the podcast, but part of podcasting is, and even fatherhood, I mean, every day is going to, day is going to, you're going to feel like a a bad father sometimes, but you just keep going. Like part of podcasting is you got to keep hitting publish. As long as you keep hitting publish, you'll keep growing and my podcast ended up saving my life on January 27th because I had something extremely powerful to look forward to. I knew my life had momentum even without a place to go every day. And there aren't many dads that can say that. 
And if you don't have that network, like for the first two weeks, the most thing I did, I just kept talking to people for those first two weeks after January 27th, because that was my instinct. I need to talk to people. I need to get outside my head. I need them to reflect back the ideas of what I can do because I can't see it all. And that's what I did. And that's what helped me solidify that I really don't want another job. I want to be a stay-at-home dad. I want to step into my best life as a dad. I want to be present in these years because my kids are eight, five, and three. And when I'm 50, these are the years that everybody wishes back. When you hear a parent say, pay attention because it goes by fast. This is the season of life that they're wanting. So like it was everybody else in my life kept reflecting back like, Ben, you can do something with what you're saying. And it just all kind of flowed into fatherhood. Wow. I think, I think it, I was going to say, I think, I think it's amazing that, uh, and, and this is true for, uh, just about any endeavor that you, you, you work on. Sometimes we look at things as sort of like therapy for ourselves, Mm -hmm. but it, it, it can mean so much to other people as well. Like we're not, we're not alone in a, a lot of the challenges that we're having. There are people who are going through what you went through, Ben, uh, stuff that I've gone through, things that all of us have gone through. And, and I think, Ben, what you're doing, uh, just being vulnerable and being willing to talk about it and then, you know, building that platform to let other people jump in, sort of like the Dad Edge and those masterminds. And I've heard a few uh, episodes of the Dad Edge and, and uh, it's a great, great podcast, right? It gets you pumped up and gets you excited about uh, becoming the, the, the best father that you can be. But um, you don't know what your capabilities are in some cases until you hear someone talk about going through that same trial. And then you get that, yep. oh, and that reinforcement. feel like they're alone so much. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. It's the lie of the year. And then you're like, wait, you're going through this too. Oh, wow. Well, let's, let's get together and talk about it. You know? So yeah. Right. yeah. What, what were you going to say, Joe? I'm sorry. So, so actually it was cool. It was a good transition there. Cause I do want to dig more into, um, into the military veteran dad podcast, but you referenced a mastermind, right? And then Scott kind of reiterated on that point. And I think a lot of our young listeners are probably like, what is that? You know, what, what, what is a mastermind? Can you, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? So mastermind is a new concept, but it's definitely a buzzword within the growth mm-hmm. uh, movement that we have going on in society. And it is one of those words that like, you can often think like, oh, everybody knows what a mastermind is, but no better than you go a dad going to the park and you realize that there are dads at completely different operating levels like you can see mm-hmm. bad parenting on full on display if, and, and me being like my facebook feed only shows me amazing dads so <laughs> i truly get filtered view that like those dads don't exist and you go to the park and you're like man those dads are still out there so for masterminds is something that goes way back and i'm not sure if it goes but it goes back further but i first learned of where it really was implemented was by andrew carnegie so back in the 1920s, there was masterminds of those billionaires and they were always leaning on each other to try to make their ideas better. And essentially it's just taking one mind and making it a bigger mind. And because when mm-hmm. you take one idea and put it with another's, it gets sharper. That there's one biblical verse of men, iron sharpens iron and so one man sharpens another. That's what a mastermind is because you're in an environment where you feel safe, you reveal really who you are. And it's once you reveal who you are, that actually brings people closer. Like it's the reverse of what veterans believe will be true. Like most veterans feel that if they tell their story, they're going to explode. Like they'll spontaneously combust and prove physics wrong that it's not possible. And I know people that have done YouTube videos and right after telling their story, they immediately puked. Like that much anxiety comes from them telling your story. But the opposite happens. Vulnerability is actually like a magnet. People come towards you. And what you don't 
also don't realize is the world is waiting for someone to go first and you mm -hmm. can be that. And when you go first, you give someone permission mm -hmm. to go second. That's what you're talking about. When you hear someone else is going, going through the same thing, you give someone the permission to feel a feeling that they've never acknowledged. And when you do that, that's when you feel like, wow, my, my chest feels a lot lighter. Like glad to get that off my chest because it's, it's always there. And so mastermind is just a great principle to breathe in within the right set of principles and like-minded men and just sharpen who you are and step into more of who you are because they're going to see things and they're going to see stories that you're telling yourself that you couldn't see. And you need people in your life to reflect back the best parts of you. And also the worst parts because you often can't see your own BS as well. And they're going to call that's you. That's awesome. That's the other part of a mastermind. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great, you know, uh, illustration of what it is. The first time I think I heard of it was uh, reading some Napoleon Hill and they were also talking about some Carnegie, but then it seems like recently it's been, the term's been coming up a lot more. So um, oh, I think that's everywhere. awesome that you could explain that. Yeah, it's, it's coming up so much, especially in the entrepreneurial world. So uh, awesome, man. And so let's get back to your, your podcast. So I've been listening to this thing and, and the ones that jump out at me are definitely the, the ones that you've put this such a wild, positive spin and, and an educational spin on some of these uh, children's movies um I, I listened to the one um with frozen i listened to the one that uh, you talk about mary poppins and then you kind of talk a little bit about um the coco where's that inspiration coming from and when you're watching it is your brain just like consuming it that way now it doesn't happen the first time so like frozen yeah. like the when the fro first frozen came out i saw the part and let it go like that song like i, I saw the word words within that like you need to let go of what you're holding on and then you can be free like those words are a little translation what every adult needs to do it wasn't until the second frozen that i saw the, saw the full journey and that it probably wasn't until like the fifth time that i was watching it with my kids that i was i was starting to see these themes and so the one part that kind of is a thread through all of this is my mind connects things in random ways so i always grew up on MacGyver and MacGyver is kind of like my superhero and my <laughs> idol and even not today me and my son our favorite thing to do is to watch MacGyver in the morning before the girls wake up but my brain puts random things together just like MacGyver and it does it with analogies like I have a gift with analogies my friend have coined the term colloisms because I just put random <laughs> things together that are useful it helps people understand them but like one of uh, one of the analogies that I like to use is limiting beliefs are like rubber bands you keep stretching them they'll eventually break and that's what you do with the limiting belief. You just keep stretching it. You don't break it in a single stretch. You keep stretching it to the point where it has no elasticity and it just breaks. That's an example of putting random things together. So when I'm watching these things, I guess my brain is just always seeking to understand. Like that was something my brain, even in school, I was always trying to understand the big picture or just go way into, and I'm an overthinker as well. So I always go 10 times deeper into something than most people do. And so then I just started applying it to it. And once you get used to, to realizing that your story of your life has purpose and meaning, then I just kind of apply that purpose and meaning to the things I see in life. And I start to see threads of like, well, wow, there's a hidden message there that I never understood. But using my lens in my life, I was like, I can see Coco, which is a, a celebration of the day of dead, which is a Mexican holiday, which has nothing to do with the veterans. But that taught me the lesson that a veteran is only forgotten when people stop telling stories about them. And that's exactly what the day of the dead is. So like any of our veterans day, Memorial day that's coming up as we're recording this, that's just a celebration of the people that came before. And if you want to always be remembered, create a life worth remembering and create stories that are worth repeating. And if you do that, and if you create a family that helps that continue, people are always going to remember who you are. You're never going to be forgotten. 
Man, that I, and you know what? For our listeners, you got to get on this podcast because that's just a taste <laughs> yeah. of, of what you're gonna get. Because you're listening, and and, uh, and most of our listeners know it. That I don't, I don't have children, but I'm listening to this thing just like even getting other you know ideas because leadership in general. I'm not saying that you know who the the people that I have the opportunity to lead are my kids, but I love them like my kids. I want to take care of them. So um, you know, fatherhood has a lot of relations to leadership, the principles that you learn, and I think Ben and you and I kind of talked about that a little bit before when we were messaging back and forth that fatherhood is leadership. And you kind of alluded yeah. to that a moment ago. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you're trying, especially with your kids, you're trying to get them who have free will. They're undisciplined. <laughs> they have no reason to listen to you, but you're trying to get them to do it. It is the yeah. fire pit of leadership. And if you can master it at home, then you can, you can move mountains at work because nothing will compare to trying to get your kids who have free will and don't want to listen. And they're just unballed up emotions. That's where you, you're tested and most fathers run from that and they don't engage in it. But to me, that's like, you just be present with the chaos because when you're present with the chaos and stop trying to control it, then you can help be the calm. Um, There's something that's probably going to squirrel this conversation a little bit, but in in December, I was really always stuck on masculinity. It was something I never could identify with. I never had a good definition I could fit with. And I really started to identify that masculine is kind of a strengthful calm that you want to be an oak tree in the middle of a hurricane and your kids are a hurricane of emotion most times. But you need to be able to kneel down, talk to them in a normal voice, look them in the eye, even though they're screaming, maybe crying, and just calm them down. But you can't do that if you're not calm on the inside yourself. And so that strength is when, you can, when you're, even with your wife, when she needs to feel feminine, to feel safe, to feel vulnerable, you need to be the strengthful. You need to be not be triggered. You need to be able to hear what she's saying and that masculine is really what I've looked in the last six months has helped fuel this journey. And it kind of sums up that it also concluded that like the really, truly unconditionally love everybody else in my life. I needed to unconditionally love myself. Yeah. And when I looked in the mirror, I couldn't say that. I couldn't say that I love the good, the bad, and the ugly of where I was and who I am. And, but that journey that I'm on right now, it is so powerful when you step into loving yourself because then everything else you get in your life is bonus. You're not looking for anybody else to meet your human needs. You just can give and give from a place of, from your heart. And that's what your kids need. They need to feel your heart. They need to feel your emotions. But that's the one thing that we don't do as military dads. Our emotions scare the hell out of us. And so we run from them. But our emotions are exactly what our kids need us to feel. And your daughter is going to need you to be there, to lead her into her life. Because for your son, he's your first hero. But to your daughter, she's your first love. And if you can't feel that love and return it, she's going to have what most people call daddy issues when they're dating a girl because she didn't get to feel her father's love for the first time to validate or even just calibrate who she is as a woman. And that's the part that you need to be able to feel all that. And it all comes from being strong and strengthful inside and being dad. Wow. No, that's amazing stuff, man. Sorry uh, to go on a completely tangent. No, 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 that, no that's, that, was, that's that, was, great that was great. <laughs> That, that was Joe, absolutely great. By the way, Joe, I got the bags packed and the tickets are purchased. I'm sending all four of mine your way during the summer. So just so you get some experience. <laughs> yeah. So I, know, I, can, I, can, I can hone my, yeah, hone my leadership skills a little bit more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Llama summer camp that. is what Thank we're going to call so, it. That's yeah, right. That'll that's be great. Right. And we will have a llama there, a live exactly. llama. <laughs> but, uh, oh man, Ben, Thank you so much, man. This is just great. I, I, man, I feel like 
we could talk here for hours, uh, but I don't want to take too much of your time. But we do like to wrap up every episode with a, what we call the leadership rapid fire. So um, we're going to ask you a series of four questions and um, just whatever comes to your mind, if you don't mind sharing with us. I'm an All open right. book and I wear my heart in my sleeve. <laughs> All right. So question number one, what is your favorite leadership trait? I think humility, because the worst leaders that I always rub up against is one that doesn't admit that he has that all together, has all the answers, or that life is going exactly how he wants, because it never is. And you need that vulnerability in order to bring people closer, because when you become, and especially most leaders will, are afraid to acknowledge what everybody else already knows to be true. And that also decreases the ability for them to follow you and trust you especially if there's something that everybody in the company knows and you yourself haven't admitted it publicly, all you're doing is just hurting your credibility. So, but yeah. you need to be able to speak from a place of heart and you need to be able to speak from a place of strength. And if I was a CEO, I would always like imagine myself opening up the, the like my first day or whatever I command opening ceremony and just telling a story where I sucked as the dad. Yeah. Like just leading with that moment where I am not perfect and I am not perfect to be leading you but I am going to be here leading you. I'm going to be leading you here with stories that we're all falling down together. But as a platoon, we're going to rise up together as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite quote? I think one of my favorite quotes, and I have it at the end of every episode, that if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. And oftentimes we feel hopeless. And maybe part of the CEO of what Scott's part about is the hopeless to hopelessness to dope yeah hopeless to hopeless to dope hopeless to dopeness yeah. incorporated yeah yeah <laughs> uh that if i feel hope there's in their future i have immense strength in the present and if you don't have that hope in the future and for me one lesson i had to learn with that quote because i first heard it and i was like wow that's really powerful but i did also at the same time i didn't recognize i was outsourcing my hope that mm. if others mm. let me down then i would just get frustrated like damn it i counted on you but your hope for your life has to come within. And it's talking about that pressure of digging deeper because when you start digging deeper, you can create your own hope. And then when you can create your own hope, you feel like you can conquer the world. Hmm. Wow. Very that's cool. awesome. All right. What is the number one book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader? I think the one book that really cemented that there's a different way of leading is the advantage by Patrick Lucioni. He highlights the heart-centeredness of organizations of how Southwest since 1979 can create a profit in every single year, despite every downturn, that a heart-centered organization can move mountains. And there's a leadership philosophy at Southwest that they talk about in this book that they hire for heart and train for skill because they can hire someone. They can't teach someone to care about the airplane and vacuuming it. So, I mean, like you need to find that someone that can care. So they always hire for heart and teach them to vacuum the airplane. And you don't get that in a lot of leadership books. You don't get that in a lot of corporations. But, and the advantage essentially is based on the only or advantage you have in business is how healthy your organization is. Yeah. That what yeah. differentiates every organization is how well can the team execute because markets change, niches change. And if you're a nimble, strengthful organization all rowing in the same direction, you can do anything. But if you can't do that, then everything else that you do is just smoke and mirrors and you're just hiding waiting for the market to collapse 
That's great. Yeah, Lencioni is awesome. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. Um, okay, so the final question, how do you find your harmony between life, learning, and leadership, which is our motto, life, learning, and leadership? How do you find your harmony there? I would say my harmony is because what you can easily get stuck on, especially I did it for almost two and a half years, I just got stuck on the reading part that I just needed to know more. There was always just one more book. There was always just one more thing. And then I could be who I wanted to be, where then maybe I could love myself. Or then maybe someone would come into my life and say, you know what? I'm proud of you finally, Ben. And so don't get hung up on learning. You have to also do the application. And I heard it said that we don't have a, a knowledge problem in America today. We have an application problem. So take what you've learned, make sure you're applying it daily, but then make sure you're balancing it with investments in yourself. Like, so in Corona, like one thing I was like, you know what, I'm going to make sure I have cement this cemented in. I've got a 15 page day reading habit cemented. I've got a meditation habit cemented. I now have two workouts a day cemented, one outside and one inside. And now that's part of me that fuels me forward. So you have to re realize that it's not just a growth mindset that you need to have. It's not just a knowledge mindset you need to have. It's about being everything that you know up to yourself today and being that continually every day, being present with your kids, just loving where you're at. That's something that you can easily get stuck in when you start just assuming you don't know enough is you forget that there's value in you being exactly who you are right now. Your That's kids good. still love you yeah. exactly who you are right now, even though you don't love yourself. Your kids will still right. give you the same size hug when you walk through the door. Yeah. That's something you can still feel today, even though you're still growing. So it's about balance of the present, the future, the applying, and it's making sure you feel anchored in that process. Because if you're not anchored, one little uh, current and you're going to get washed down the river. And next thing you know, you're going to be five years back in the past. Well, that's fantastic. Man, thanks, Ben. And, and we wanted to, uh, before we um, close up, we just want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about some of the projects you might be working on, um, how to, you know, what your website is. And we'll put all this in the, in the show notes as well as your podcast one more time. So you heard my story about friendships when I was 30. So this has been something that I've looked into my life as well. So my perfect listener is myself at 30. So anytime I try to think about what does the listener really want, I always try to think, what did I want when I was 30? What would have changed my life? So friendships was that thing because most veterans don't have that. So just recently, I just launched a friendship course, five audio lessons. It's free, 10 minutes each. You can download it and listen to it on a walk or whatever time you're going through or whatever downtime you have. So it's super easy and super easy accessible. You can check that out at freedadcourse.com. The course is there. The signups there as well. Again, it's only, it's free five lessons on how I took friendships and changed my life with them. And that there's an entire world on the other side of hello. You've never even imagined. You don't even know other ways you can live your life until you start saying hello, because one conversation can change your life and you're always away from one conversation and you're going to miss hundred percent of those shots you don't take. And so the website is militaryveterandad.com. If you want to get connected with the podcast, subscribe to our blog. It's all right there. If you want to have a conversation, Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me at Ben underscore Colloy. I'm an open book. I'm an open friend because I always kind of have this philosophy that I try to show up as a friend. I wish I had in my life five years ago. So I'm always giving away friendship is my first product and it's free even in the audio course and even in real life because that one conversation can be what changes your life. And I always keep saying hello. It's been something I've been doing continually through Corona as I just keep having conversations. And there's one final piece of advice to kind of gift wrap this whole thing for you about transitioning friendships that there's 
I'd like to think of friendships as an actual ship. So if you put a dash and say friend dash ship, think of every ship, ship you have on the ocean. So every friend ship that's on the ocean, the more opportunity that will float ashore your way. And so you always want more friends. Don't think of it as a network. Don't think of it as a tribe. Think of it as friends. How can I help these people move their life forward? Zig Ziglar said it best. You can have everything in your life that you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And those friendships, if you help those friendships get to the destinations they're going, they will always drop something off board and that shore will always float away on your beach. And there's another kind of thing to tie it all together is the amount of people you talk to daily that are strangers that you don't know is directly proportional to the amount of opportunity you feel in your life. So if you don't have any opportunity that you feel like you can move your life forward to, that's proportional to the amount of strangers that you talk to daily. Wow, Ben, I know uh, Scott and I, we are very excited to be connected with you. Uh, you had you had us at hello, man. You had us at hello. <laughs> this <laughs> conversation to... happened on the other side of hello. <laughs> oh yeah, and I, I'll tell you what, uh, you got to be one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to. And and who would have thought it was, you know you were a marine too? Wow, that's amazing, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, the I'm return kind of fire. Of, I'm kind of a walking. I'm kind of a walking oxymoron because I've had people like in the early days. People, I would say like I would cry. I, cause I cry at Coco or sometimes in happy endings yeah. or in the movie elf when the sleigh goes riding over the people, like I'm bawling in that point. Like I just, wow. it's oh, tears wow. of joy. And one guy was <laughs> like, Marines don't cry. And I'm like, well, I hate the Berkshire bubble, but this, this Marine cries often. I remember sitting in Okinawa when the bus moved from extreme maker over on AFN, the door was always closed, but I would always cry when the bus moved. Like it was yeah. just something that I do. And even now, I'm not sure how it's going to work after Corona, but I, w- I actually became a hugger through this process. And I've never been a hugger oh, my nice. entire life. But if you ask people close to me, I'm known as the guy that gives good hugs. <laughs> and, that's, and also an oxymoron being a Marine. Like Marines aren't known for giving good hugs. But that's exactly that's awesome. who I am. And I own it every day. Yeah, well, well, we love who you are, and um, thank yeah. you so much for coming on. And um, we'll definitely um, be putting this this out pretty soon, and um, putting all of your great wisdom and the links that you provided into this um, to the show notes. Thank you again, Ben. And um, hey, to all our listeners, uh, as always, you know, be safe, stay healthy. And llamas are out. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the show. We'd love for you to connect with us at www.llama-leadership.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash llama leadership and also on Instagram at llama leaders. And a big thanks to Mike Whitmer for the music. To check out more of this stuff, go to soundcloud.com slash Mike Whitmer. Thanks again. See you on the next episode.